backboard banter on the board with your host, Matt Middleton and Kevin Rayner, where the banter's as ferocious as Dame Dollar's 60-point game, man. Big dub against the Utah Jazz. Just call him Dame W. I know, terrible, terrible joke. But, man, the guy went off, and against a Jazz team that has been struggling, like, seems kind of appropriate. I mean, I feel like at the beginning of the season, we knew what this Blazers team was going to be. We weren't expecting much from them. They, you know, they are sitting outside of the playoffs. But you knew Dame was going to come in and get these Ws here and there. Man, they've actually been better than I expected. Um, like Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons have been playing really well alongside Dame Dalla. Um, the loss against the Lakers probably is what set him off. You know, having a guy like Patrick Beverly who probably should not even be in the league, you know, going game time. Like, come on, man. Like, Patrick Beverly going to do pa- Patrick Beverly things, but. He was the reason that they went off on that huge run. Like, what was it, like 30 to, like, 8 or something? Like, it was a huge run uh, at the end of the second half. And it's because Patrick Beverly made him mad. You you can't anger a guy like Dame. You know, there's certain players in the league that can be absolute flamethrowers. And if you decide that you're going to stand in their way as, like, a very crispy piece of broccoli, perhaps, you're going to get burnt. So, yeah, Pat Bev. In hot water, but let's flip the script real quick. Let's talk about football. Let's go into these predictions because it's been two weeks now. Milo is very sick. He's now gotten better. I'm in regular schedule, man. I'm letting Matt down this year. Let's be honest here. But the Bengals did not let me down. They got that W for me. Let's not talk about my tweet about the Giants, you know, rest in peace to the Giants season. But I'm going to take that. I'll take it. You're you're trying to call one out for the friend. I get it, man. I tried to warn you. You know, I was telling you the Giants weren't going to win. Uh, but, hey, I couldn't get the Milwaukee pick from, from two weeks ago. Giannis sat out both those games against Miami, and I underestimated, you know, that kind of impact. But, hey, man, my football picks, though, I'm 9-1. I am on fire. I got perfect last week through the tweets, man. I mean, the scores were a little off, but, hey, that's okay. Look, it, it was a wild, you know, first week. We both got saved with our stories. You know, the Bengals having that insane, you know, defensive play on the line to run it back. And then the Jags called the comeback kids, the comeback kings, whatever you want. Trevor Lawrence went off to start the playoffs. Dude, I mean, he he didn't go off to start the playoffs. <laughs> to start the playoffs. He was off. And then all of a sudden, flipped the switch, man. I mean, that was just wild. It's so funny because, like, the Chargers are known to do that in the NFL. Like, they literally have a term called chargering. And, of course, the Chargers chargered. Like, it was, yeah. man, so bad for them. And, like, I feel bad for um, for Justin Herbert. But, man, like, the fact that they didn't fire their coach after that, like, what are you guys doing, man? <laughs> like, tough, tough times, tough times for that team. But, you know, anywhere else in the playoffs for football, are we getting prepped for, for this weekend coming up? You excited for, for the last time before the football uh, finale? Hey man, I'm going to save my, my picks for prediction time, but yeah, I'm excited for this weekend. I think um, we got the consensus best two teams in both divisions, you know, fighting it out for the championship here. Like I really believe the Philadelphia Eagles and the, the San Francisco 49ers were the two best teams in the NFC this year. And same for the Bengals and, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I know a lot of people would argue that, that Buffalo was better during the season. I don't think so. And and Cincinnati proved it last week, man. I, they kind of wiped the floor with Buffalo. Man, I should have just kept believing with, with the Bengals. Part of me believes that I should just, you know, be uh, roping myself to that train and riding it all the way to the, the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow looks absolutely unstoppable. But who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll save it for the end of the episode. That's for sure. Hey, man, you said, like, you know, the first year you went perfect. Last year you went about, like, you know, what, 60%. This year you're probably going to go, like, what, 40% for your picks. Next year next year you'll go over, and then you'll restart the cycle. That, that's what I'm hoping for, right? I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to just, like, try to throw myself down now, get myself closer and closer to that 0% so the cycle restarts sooner. That might be that might be the, the right course of action. But let's flip the script here now. Let's talk about the Toronto Raptors teams who – Maybe they need to do the exact same thing. Maybe they need to decide to just keep losing because, in my opinion, Matt, we are stuck in absolute mediocrity right now. A four and four, two weeks? No, thank you. I I think that's the issue, right? Like, is that we are so stuck in this mediocre situation of play and with the glut of talent that's in the NBA, it's hard to get out of it. 
right? There are no easy games. Even those, you know, bottom tier teams like Charlotte, like Orlando, like the Detroit Pistons, they've got some players. And on a given night, they can beat you. So I think it's just, it, it speaks to where the NBA is. And I think it speaks to our level of commitment as a team, right? I think our level of talent far exceeds where our roster, you know, is. Like at the moment, we're 12th in the East. We're 22 and 27. We should be better than this. We should be. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, we're not. And I mean, this week, this two week period is a perfect example of that, right? Like, we really should have gone seven and one. Besides the Atlanta game, every other game we kind of had in hand and yeah. let it slip away. It's been disappointing, right? And, you know, Matt was talking about how we basically should be on a six game win streak right now. You look at that Bucks team and what ended up happening, which. You know, Brooke Lopez incident aside, like the guy kind of lost his mind a little bit there, but like, no Giannis, no Brooke eventually, no cr- Chris, was it no Chris or no Drew? No, no like, Middleton. No, Drew thing. Holiday baked us in that game, man. <laughs> he went off for like 38 points or something. Like, right. he was on fire. But that's scoring a game against that bigger guys. We should win, right? And then you follow that up against the Wolves game. Like, should we even talk about that Wolves game? That Wolves game was just painful. Bro, I think, what, we were up, like, 20 points with, like, four minutes left in the fourth quarter or something like that, and D'Angelo Russell's the guy who you're going to let beat you? D'Angelo Russell? Really? It's not even Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards? And, like, of course it's not Carl Anthony Towns, but not even Anthony Edwards? Like, the worst part, the worst part is true. Like leading up to that game against the T Wolves, I'm pretty sure I'm reading articles about how D'Angelo Russell might be the trade ship that the Raptors are interested in. And I'm like, please no, please no. And then I go online after this game where they beat us, and T Wolves fans are coming onto the Raptors subreddit and are like, hey guys, yeah, this is how D'Angelo Russell plays every game. You definitely want to trade for him. I'm like, no, like it's all just falling apart. And then to follow that up with a Celtics loss, like yes, the Celtics are the best Without- team in the East, but. Without yeah. Tatum? Like, come on, Girl. guys, get the W. Uh. We've got our full roster. Like, and, like, this is the thing. Like, you know, during the beginning of the season, a lot of the excuses around the team were, well, we're not healthy. We're, we're, we've lost key players. Like, we're fighting through it. And I know people were saying, like, oh, it's not an excuse, but it is an excuse. And I was adamant that it wasn't. And, again, like, it proves that we lose to Boston and they're shorthanded. I don't even. I think Marcus Smart was playing in that game, but he, he was injured because he's missed the last few as well. And so, like, how do we let let that team beat us, man? Like, the fact of the matter is, it's all three of these games where there's not every member of their team because of injuries, and we're still not getting over the hump, right? Like, if you're a team that isn't, you know, scrapping to be, you know, one of these one, two, three, you know, top four teams on each side of the conference, like, if you're stuck in the middle, you have to take advantage of the best teams when they're not at their best, because that's how it is, and here's here's the thing, here's the thing, playoff time, you're expecting everyone to be healthy, you're going into it, so the conversation is irrelevant if we lose games or win games when we're not healthy, like, you have to win games to get to that final hump, and whether we're healthy or not, if we can't beat teams when they're not healthy, we're not going to beat them when they are healthy, that's for sure. Look, man, Boston's on a three-game losing streak, and Tatum's come back. Like, how did we not get that win? And then, like, I get it. We we beat the Knicks. It was our second time beating the Knicks in a two-week span. Like, I guess we own the Knicks. Like, <laughs> And, like, we beat Sacramento. And that was a – I think that was the most positive sign out of this whole two-week week span because it was the only game in which we actually looked like a team. We actually looked like we cared about one another – like, it didn't matter who finished the play on offense or on defense. It was about making sure that we did the correct thing in that situation. And it was beautiful to see, man, for the first time in, like, what, 40 games? This 40 thing, like, like I'm, I'm working at Ski Hill on Wednesday night. I see this 8 o'clock start game. I think to myself, okay, you know, I'll finish up. I'll be able to get home. I'll get to see the end of this game. And... You know, I got to see the last, like, six minutes of the fourth quarter, probably, but it was still nice to see. Yeah, the boys were locked in. They were playing what they were playing, and, you know, classic Kevin Kings fan about to come out. Like, man, we stopped the beam from getting lit, bro. Like, that's that's a big that's a big W over here, but, you know, hey, I'm man. just, uh, I'm happy for the boys to get that W to start this road trip that we're going to go into against a 
top three seed in the West, it's a big W. What can I say? Yo, exactly. I was going to say top three seed in the West. Stop the beam from going 27 and 20, right? Like we would kill to be 27 and 20. I think it, it just really speaks volume though, again, to the, the glut of talent when like the top seven teams in the NBA, like nobody has a winning percentage over 700, like 70%. True, yeah, yeah is the Boston Celtics who are the number one team in the NBA. And typically like we get teams in like the 80% win totals, you know? So, and you couldn't even say we're like spoiled by golden state because like, yes, golden state has been up there, but like you think about what the Suns have done for a while. You think about the jazz were doing for a while. Giannis when his team was fully healthy, right? Like there have been a bunch of different teams here. that have been putting up those huge numbers and, you know, we discuss about parity and whether it's good for the league, whether it's bad for the league. Well, it looks like there's a lot of parity right now, and there's teams that can lose on any given night, which is why it hurts even more if we don't get these W's when they matter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, definitely, man. And I mean, like, to get a 60-win team, Boston's going to have to win 25 of their final 32 games, That's right? Like, when yeah. was the last time in the NBA that we didn't have at least one 60-win team? I feel like it's been forever, right? Like, yeah. we're used to 65, 66 plus wins. I mean, the year that Golden State won 73, the Spurs were right behind them at 69 or 68, right? Like, And there are multiple teams in the NBA that, that typically have these type of, of um, you know, records. And there are multiple teams with poor records. And I think, you know, we still have that, right? We've still got the, the Rockets and the, the Pistons and the Hornets who are – you know, haven't even cracked 15 wins. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of wild to see that even the top teams are struggling because the, the middle is just so strong in the NBA right now. But you're right. Like, if we can't take advantage of the, the top teams when they're down, or like a Minnesota team who's, you know, not a good team, <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Are, should we just tank? I know Masai's not into it. Man, this is the struggle of the front office. It's why the Raptors are, like, the team of conversation and will be for the next two weeks leading up to the trade deadline. We're stuck in the middle. We're where no team wants to be. And the question now becomes, obviously, is Fred getting traded? Is Gary getting traded? Are we selling Siakam? Are we folding the bag? You mentioned how Masai doesn't want to do that. That's why a lot of people believe that it's quite possible that the Raps might go through this deadline without making any moves at all, which might be the wrong decision, you know, probably is the wrong decision. Like, come on, how many weeks do we have to sit here and, and get back together and talk about how nothing has changed, how we're still just holding on to hope and that hope just isn't there. Like, yes, if we'd have gone on a 10-game win streak, even a five-game win streak, like, what's our best win streak this season? Two? Like, we need, we need more out of this team, and a trade looks like it's, you know, lining up to be the answer. Yeah, um, I think it's, uh, like, again, I'll go back to Nick and say, if you're not going to make a trade, you're going to have to change the coach. I think the leeway that he's been afforded um, has been, I guess, well-deserved from a guy who won an NBA championship. Those guys just don't grow on trees as head coaches, you know, that you don't just pick them up off the street. Um, But, I mean, if you take that one season out, of his coaching tenure with the Raptors, his record isn't that great. Um, yeah, we had the second place Eastern Conference finish the year after, but then we had the Tampa season, and last year we overachieved, but again, we have this season. And so it kind of balances out. He's probably around a 500 coach in that, in that you know window without Kawhi Leonard. True. And so there also hasn't been that much development happening and that's when we really have to kind of pick him apart a little bit is that, yeah, we didn't win championships under Dwayne Casey and Dwayne Casey, you know, got us as far into the playoffs as he could, but he kept running into LeBron, man. Like, you know how I feel about LeBron. Everybody knows how I feel about LeBron. We're going to beat LeBron. And, we and just also, weren't. And you're also the type of person that preaches the idea of, you know, you don't, you know, sell a coach of the year. You don't sell a coach that wins a championship. Well, Dwayne Casey was about as close as you get to that, being a coach of the year, developing as much as they did. And there are many Raptors fans who would still believe that if, you know, he hadn't been given the chance he, with Kawhi, he probably could have taken them to a championship. So I understand where you're coming from. I 
totally believe had he been the coach with Kawhi Leonard, he would have a championship. He would have won coach of the year and then a championship. And he would be almost untouchable in terms of like getting rid of him this year. I also think under Dwayne Casey, we saw development from our whole like roster, right? He was de- like he developed Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet. Yeah. Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry got better together every single year they came back. Norm Powell got better under him. Jonas Valanciunas got better under him. There was a ton, a ton of development with the young guys on the roster, and I think that's something that we're completely missing since Nick's taken over is that our young guys seem to be stalling a lot of them right Delano had a great rookie season in his second year he's being utilized less and he's even though he's had that 28 point game or 30 point game that he had like he's not being given an opportunity Malachi Flint's finally earning a little bit of opportunity but I think you know his confidence is so low and and his ability to execute his role is pretty low He's not developing these guys, you know. Precious had a better season last year coming off, you know, the the Miami Heat development team than he did with us this year, right? You would think that he would take a step, but he didn't. He took a step back. Gary Trent, again, like we got him two years ago at the deadline from Portland, and then he takes a step back. Like, what's going on with our development staff? And that's the biggest issue for me. You know, and and whether that's a question of, you know, our organization, because – You'll talk to a lot of teams around the league, a lot of people who will say that the Raptors have a great organization, that they have a great front office, that they have a great developmental squad and just support around their players. But is that the conversation that, you know, they've said that for years after years after years and people have been picked away slowly and slowly? Like, you know, you talk about the coaching staff that that, that got slowly taken apart from that championship year. Like, where does it come down to now? Is it, you know, the office letting the players down or is it the fact that they're just the people that were in those positions that gave this reputation towards the Raptors team, are they just not there anymore? And their understudies, their replacements just haven't been able to do it. Like there's something going on because the, the, the championship pedigree that came out of a winning organization that just for years and years was always there. Just, it, it, it seems to have faltered and just kind of crumbled away at this point. Bro, like since 2012, 2013, whatever it was like, we have been one of the best organizations in the NBA. Um, like you take a look over that 10 year stretch and it's golden state and us, Yeah. you know, like a, a team that won multiple championships that is heralded as the best dynasty of the last decade and us in terms of winning percentage per season. Like it's nuts, especially because we don't have the players that they have, right. The all timers. Um, you know, you're going to say Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry are all Hall of Fame locks. Not one player from our championship teams, maybe Kyle Lowry, like our high-end teams, and then True. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, and Marcus Gasol, obviously. But again, we only had them for such a short period of time. And, like, it's just, it's crazy to think that they went 10 years with that roster and those players, and we have just as good of a, a winning percentage. I mean, like, it's it's slightly off. It's less, obviously. We are not the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> but uh, absolutely. So now, so let's let's pivot a little bit here. I'm going to ask you a question that I've seen kind of floating around, Mike. So, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, who's more valuable to the team? I You'd think, think a simple question. talking about this year and who's more important right now, I think it's Fred Van Vliet. I think in terms of development and getting towards a championship core, it's Gary Trent Jr., personally. I think Fred has played a lot of hard minutes in his life. I think that he's had to fight for everything that he's ever gotten, and he has gotten very far with the limited physical tools that he has. You know, I would love to be his size personally. You know, I'm you know only five nine. I'd love to be six foot. But hey, he's not big by NBA standards yeah. at all. And though he's played hard, hard minutes over the last three seasons, right? And over the last two specifically, he's been one of the number one NBA minutes guys. And so, 
I think his body is, you know, letting him down a little bit. The injuries are starting to show up a little bit more often. I think he has a higher value on the trade market just because he is a former all-star, just because he's a great spot-up shooter. He's great for team culture and all this kind of stuff. And there's a report that Gary Trent Jr. wants to re-sign with the Raptors in the summer, and the Raptors want to re-sign him. And if those reports are true, I'm going to take the guy who wants to re-sign as opposed to the guy who turned down the maximum offer that we could offer him this summer because he was hoping for another all-star nod and a, and a little and bit more. Bump. So now, knowing all of that, based on what you've said and knowing how we feel, who's more valuable to the front office? Who do you think the front office values more between the two of them? Again, I think right now it's it's Freddie, but if you're talking about future, it's Gary because Freddie sets the, the team culture, which... I mean, if you're asking me, it hasn't been great this year. So if he sets that team culture, him and Siakam, maybe it's it's best to get rid of them. The, the reason I bring that specific question up is because, you know, based on our earlier conversation, talking about the front office's thoughts and, and direction throughout processes, right? Like, there's a good vocal, I'm not even going to say minority, a good vocal group in the fan base that is very much the Gary is part of the future cash in on Fred while you can right now trend. And I think a lot of that group of people are begging the front office to see what you've said exactly there. The focus of, we aren't winning right now. It isn't about winning right now. We need to truly pivot to the future. And Gary, rather than Fred, is he fits in more with the future. So that's really the reason why I wanted to bring that up because I thought it was just important to see that connection without originally hearing that question, but still having those opinions of what we know Gary can bring, you know, in the future of our team. And also to, you know, segue into the next segment, Gary's one of the only shooters on our team. Our problems are shooters and bigs. Don't trade Gary away if we're not getting a shooter back, people. Come on, please. No, absolutely, man. And, you know, Gary's a, like five years younger than Fred Van Vlietis. Um, Gary can mold himself into the score that we need. Um, especially the ISO off the bench score, you know, I think ideally he's a, he wants to be a starter in this league. And I get that every, every NBA guy wants to be a starter in this league. Ideally he would win five straight six man of the year award. Yeah. That's the kind of player that he is, right? Like he, he's a microwave score off the bench can lead a, a second bench unit to, to plus points. And I think that's, you know, really his great role. And I know, you know, Fred Van Vliet, People talk about him potentially being a, a lead point guard on a championship roster. I'm sorry, he's not. Like, when we won our championship, yeah, he played great, but he played behind Kyle Lowry. And in the subsequent years since, specifically the last two, yes, we overachieved last year, but yeah. in the playoffs, we actually played better without him. And this year, we've been an absolute mess. You know, objectively, we've been a mess. And so... What is Siakam and Fred VanVleet's value as guys who are pushing towards 30 when we're not winning, right? Why aren't we going with Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi and pushing those guys? My biggest fear is that OG seems to be the odd man out between Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and, yeah. and even Precious because Precious – accepts more of a bench role at where he is in his point in his career mm-hmm. and i think og is feeling that and feeling like the odd man out and probably does want to leave toronto because he knows that if he was you know the third or fourth option on a team like portland he would get better numbers mm-hmm. and more respect around the league also being on an american team versus a canadian team he'd probably win defensive player of the year just saying that's the thing, right? And, Which is a you know, crux. And we've talked for weeks. Like, we've had the conversation about, is OG actually pissed off? Is he actually just frustrated with the situation and feeling left out and, and wanting to go? And I hate that week by week, I feel like more and more he's leaning that way. At least I think that he's leaning that way. And that's what I see. And, you know, is it going to irk him that the conversation about him being traded right now is that Messiah holds him so high and that 
he's probably not going to get traded because the value of what he is worth, because it's not, it's not the value of what we think he's worth. It's actually the value of what he's worth in the current market with what the Gobert trade did to things. Like, OG is the piece of this trade market right now. Let's be honest. If any team is looking around for the best player to add to their roster, it's OG Ananobi by far. Yeah, no, absolutely. Unless you can pry Pascal Siakam away, but you're going to, again, pay out the, you yeah. know what, for him. And, like, there's reports that a team did offer three first-round picks for OG Ananobi, and we turned that down, right? So, at the end of the day, we can't just assume that we're going to get an OG level player in the first round with that pick, right? We can't. And so we need to be more cautious about it. And I totally understand that. And I understand that Masai wants to, you know, see where this group goes. He, he developed them. He, he believed in them. He's the guy who built this roster, but clearly we have issues and it's not something small. It's not something that Jakob Pertle is going to fix. Right, like we're all into Jakob Pertle getting him back, but if he costs us a first round pick and let's say Precious Chua or Gary Trent Jr. or something like that, it's too much. He's not worth it. He's not because he's not going to fix our issues. He's not. And, so and this is also the struggles yeah. of the league right now, right? This is the struggle of the expectation. Like people got so excited for the Rui trade, which we'll get into in a little bit here, because it was finally a trade, right? But I think because of this Gobert situation, like the market is is quite possibly effed. The market is in a bad place because every GM is looking to absolutely fleece their opponents and every other GM is going, well, then you can keep your asset. Like, it's it's yeah. almost like a do they, well, they won't they, do they, don't they? Like, it's not a fun time to be trying to make a trade, that's for sure. If I was a GM and I was trying to get a player off a different team and they were demanding, you know, all those first-round picks and I didn't think that they were worth all those first-round picks, I would just, you know, say to them you know well that's the go if that's the go bear price like look how well that trade turned out for minnesota right because at the end of the day walker kessler has actually played better on defense absolutely and has been a bigger defensive force than rudy gobert has been could you imagine walker kessler and cat together as opposed to gobert and cat together like and that's the thing, right? When you're yeah. trading away these these unknown players or these these future assets, there's a chance they could end up being way bigger and way better players than the guy that you're currently trading for. And I understand that it doesn't fit your timeline right now, but if you want to be a competitive organization for the long haul, Unless you know that this trade is going to push you over the top for a championship, you don't don't ever make that kind of a trade. Because like that was again our biggest argument last year was or about this you know Gobert trade was yeah okay it might get them to fifty wins it might you know we everyone was expecting at least fifty wins from this Minnesota team yeah what? they were still going to get smoked and now they're getting smoked in the regular season so. You gonna mortgage your future for that? No, thank you. And this is why any fan is just like, make a trade, make a trade, make a trade. It's like, this is why you're a fan and not a GM. Like, calm down, slow down. Like, the the like, okay, yes, thank you, New York Knicks, for offering us three first round picks for OG. We know it's you. It's that's the only one that makes sense. But OG and Ananobi is the type of player who like can really change a team. And so, like, you have to look at the picks that you're getting back. You have to look at what package you're getting back. And, you know, maybe we settle on a package for OG that only gets us, you know, insert question mark player here and one first-round pick in two seconds. But is that first-round pick more valuable than the rest of those picks? Like, this is the constant challenge of a trade, of trying to figure out the best balance. The moral story for me, though, is I just don't want to trade OG. I want to make him happy, and I want him to be a part of the team. But I just don't Absolutely. know Absolutely. And I think he would raise the Knicks floor to the point where like they're going to be a playoff team almost year in year out for those three first round picks absolutely and i understand that we got og at 24 or whatever we got him at 22 um how many guys you know really pan out at 22 at at 27 i understand that those were pascal and og but how many guys turn into you know absolute nobodies right like you can't even name the players because if I name the players, you'd be like, "Who? What? 
right? So. Well, and, and I'm and I'm with you there. And if we can move away from the trade chatter, because I think we pretty much, you know, conversed around there. Like, let's talk about Scotty for a little bit. The guy that has really been the shining star of this team the past few weeks. You know, we discussed how he needs to kind of do everything for this squad. He needs to kind of be that, you know, not Luka Doncic role, but like the the low-key version where everyone is interacted by him and he's constantly touching the ball and getting things moving. And you mentioned it about how he's given, you know, how Nurse has given Scotty the opportunity to just, you know, run that second unit, be that focal point. Like, that's the best thing Nurse has done in these past few weeks. And we're really happy as Scotty Ben, that's for sure. Dude, he he's best suited right now to be the connector right like the draymond green role like whatever you know the rodman the, he does all the little things that you need to get done in order to be a successful nba team on the court and when he pulls himself out of that kind of mentality and wants to be that number one option and wants to be the, the star and and the got the go-to guy which you know, we definitely believe he has that potential in him. Yeah. It's just at the moment for winning NBA basketball, that is not who he is yet. And so it's been amazing to see him be the connector and have these fabulous games, right? Like he's he's been phenomenal of late. And running that second unit gives him the reps that he wants as a lead guy against weaker competition. So, no, I agree with you. Like, this should have been done earlier in the season, though. And I understand that, like, you know, potentially it's because our starting unit was a little bit hurt and, like, you know, there was injuries and influx. You need to play around. Like, Nick Nurse is known for experimenting with rosters. Like, how did he not come up with this earlier, right? How did he not spread out the amount of talent earlier? Because I understand our starting five is probably one of the most talented starting fives in the NBA, just ba- purely based on talent. Yeah. But they don't work together because they all want the ball. They all want to be Pascal Siakam. They all practice like Pascal Siakam. Like, they're going to be the number one option on the team. Fred does it. OG does it. Scotty does it. Precious does it. Gary Trent Jr. does it. That's too many guys trying to be the number one option on a team. If you have three guys fighting to be the number one option – that's probably a healthy, healthy amount of, of competition. You know, you're each pushing each other, each getting better. But when you have six, seven guys who think that they should be the number one option, that's when the ball starts to get hogged and fought over. And again, we've talked about it. Team chemistry has not looked great. And I think what's happening is that the old guys, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, are like, hey, no, 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 this is our team. We're the vets. You guys listen to us. And they're like, but we're just as good as you, if not better. And we're younger. So we could be better than you potentially. If you just took a step back, you, you know, and like, that's it. It's not like when Kyle and Damar were there, we've talked about it before. Kyle and Damar were unquestioned, unquestionably better than them and had more talent than them to start. Right. That's why they were the eighth pick and the, I think, you know, Kyle was a top 15 pick. Right. There's a reason. People will look back in 20, 30 years, you know, at what happened with Toronto and Kyle, and it will be something special. Like, what he did, the way his career turned around, what he became for this franchise. Like, I think so many people, you know, including people in the front office, are trying to make Fred the next Kyle. It's not It's not going to work the same. It's just not going to happen. It's not, like, Fred worked better underneath Kyle's wing. Like, I... I've been joking in my brain that like the best thing that might happen if we're going to keep this roster together is for Kyle to decide that Miami ain't going to do it and to come back on a vet minimum, not to play, but just to be that presence so that Fred can just shoot the ball again. But that's also not what I want because you and I are looking to the future. You know, we, we got our championship in 2019. We saw what happened. We got this pick in Scotty. Let's fold our way younger. Let's make our way towards the future. And that's why we're in this boat of, Maybe it's time for Fred to go. Maybe it's time for Pascal to go, you know? I dreamed about maybe Pascal could be the, the you know, the situation where he's the one vet on our roster of winning, but it, it might be time to truly accept that we got to go young and we got to just kind of look at this Eastern Conference that has a lot of good teams that are going to stick it around. You know, maybe the Cavs win, you know, especially getting Donovan Mitchell now. Like, we and might just have to accept where we are. And, like, 
Scotty, or I mean, Scotty's not a rookie anymore. Precious is a, a, a what, a third-year player now. Yeah. Um, Gary Trent's a four- or five-year player. OG's a five-year player. Like, it's not like they have no NBA experience, right? right? These guys have over 200, over 150 games, except for Scotty. All of them have over 150 games, almost 200 games of, of NBA experience. Let's roll with that. You know, let's make them the focal point. Let's see how our offense plays through them and cash in on guys who we know where their ceiling is. We've seen it. It's the same ceiling as DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And we love those guys. But that's, you know, their best season was conference finals. And they kind of got smacked by, uh, you know, LeBron. So, again, there's a guy in Giannis who's like LeBron. So, and there's Boston, who's a juggernaut. There's Philadelphia, who's got Embiid. You know, Brooklyn, who's got KD and Kyrie. Like, are we going to be able to do this? And no, probably about, not. And you're just talking about the teams right now. Like, I look at the Cavs and Boston as two teams that for the next five years are going to be benchmark standards. You have to look at these two teams as teams you're going to have to get over the hump, and we're not there. We're just not there, man. Absolutely, man. And if we could flip, you know, Pascal Siakam for Darius Garland, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. I understand that it makes the Cavs stronger right now. Does it make them stronger in a few years? Probably not, you know? Because yeah. so, Pascal's going to want that ball, and Donovan Mitchell's not going to want to give it to him. And then you got Evan Mobley, you got Jared Allen. Siakam can't play the same role that he does on our team. We... How we, how much value does he have then? That, that's the situation. We got. I think we got at least one more week, maybe two, depending on when the trade deadline ends, to be able to speculate against these Dude, Raptors trades. It's the ninth. The the ninth. I it's think the ninth. So, which uh, is we got next, next week, and then the week after on the Thursday. That's when the trade deadline. Is. Exactly. So you know, we'll, we might see a trade. We might not. We're gonna come back fast. Looking ahead for this Raptors teams, we got four games coming up: Golden State tonight, Blazers tomorrow. On Monday, we're against jazz. Phoenix, and then the Jazz to follow that. So, you know, tough week, maybe, you could say, question mark? Yeah, I mean, they're all winnable games, right? Like, you look at all of those teams, and you look at the conferences, and they're those three teams are all in the play-in tournament, right? In the Western Conference. Yep. Seven, eight, and ten. Now, we just lost to Minnesota, who was in the play-in tournament with them, but we did have that game in hand. So if we can build off what we did against Sacramento, we can turn it around. If we go on a, you know, a six game win streak with these, if we get four wins here, True. we're back in the conversation and then the trade deadline becomes completely different. And then make, not making a move makes a lot more sense than if we are, you know, 0 and 4 this week and are nowhere near contention. And I think really truly that's what Masai is waiting for. Masai and Bobby are just kind of biding their time they're they know it's it's bad they know that the fans are you know at an unrest but theoretically we're still in it so we have to wait as long as we can to get as much information as we can before we pull trigger on some of these trades and i think you know that's that's their job and that's why they're paid the the big bucks man because like as fans, fans are making trades left, right, and center, man. Like, we're just giving players away. <laughs> and it is, it is the right move because, like, we know everybody's looking at us anyways, right? People are – other teams are waiting for us to allow the trades to actually happen. So, yeah, there's no rush. But, you know, we've said it a couple times on this podcast this season, but I think definitively this is the time these next few games will decide where our season's going to go. Bro, maybe maybe next week you'll say it again. <laughs> I probably will. Okay, I feel like you say this every week. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like I definitely okay. Let's talk about Rui. Let's talk about the Lakers now. Let's talk about the trade. I don't think it's the first trade. There was like a really quiet trade. I think that happened, you know, a couple weeks ago. But this is the real start of the trade season. Rui Hachimura for Kendrick Nunn and three second round picks. Honestly. This is a win for the Lakers. LeBron, the GM, well done, LeBron, well done. Yeah, I think I think it was good, man. I think um, you know, they're short on wing players. Rui is actually a good shooter. If you look at his statistics, I think he shot forty percent from three last year. 
Yep. I think his, his numbers are relatively similar, similar this year. And you think he's going to get better looks playing alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James or Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma? No offense to Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma, man. They're good players. Heck, they got a better rock, um, uh, record than the, than the Lakers do right now. But I think Rui at least gives them an, an extra option so that, like, you know, come playoff time, instead of having to put Austin Reeves out there, who is, you know, probably a turnstile on defense, you get a little bit more resistance, <laughs> plus you get to keep the shooting. Yeah. So definitely a win for the Lakers. I, I don't think it pushes them into championship contention, you know. Um, but it's it's kind of sad that, like, LeBron being, like, still a top seven player in the NBA, yeah. right? Like, and Anthony Davis also, like, when he was healthy, was playing, like, a top ten player in the NBA. Like, that is just sad to say that you can't win a championship with. Like, yeah. how bad of a GM do you have to be to mess that up? It's it's not good. Yeah, Plunkett, get him out of here. But, hey, you know, this could be a big W for LeBron. You know, Matt knows I'm a big fan of the Japanese players in the league. You know, we saw what happened when Utah went over there and joined Brooklyn and Kevin Durant. Well, I'm a big Rui fan. I'm excited for him to get an opportunity here. You know, maybe get unlocked with LeBron and the Lakers. But, man, most people are just looking at the Wizards front office and going, what are you guys doing? Why are you giving LeBron what he wants? Like, unless Kendrick Nunn decides to suddenly come in and join this squad, like, I get it. You have to pay Kyle Kuzma now. He put up forty points a couple of week, you know, a couple of you know, a week and a half right, ago. Yeah. But man, Wizards front office, this is a He's weird been playing one. Well. No, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma's been playing well. I mean, nobody's ever said that Kyle Kuzma was a bad player, right? Like he's he's good, but the man is not great at defense. And like, there are tons of scores in the NBA that are probably just as good as him and just as long as him and. Yeah, he's going to get paid. But, I mean, that's what the NBA is, man. Like, as long as you're, like, above, what, they've got, like, 400 players, as long as you're a top 200 player, like, you make $20 million a season. Like, that is just what it is. Boardman gets paid. Like, there's tons of different ways to do it. I'm going to stretch out my kid, man. You know, make him as tall as possible. Got to get him to the league. (laughs) Matt's Matt's looking on Amazon for a medieval stretching rack right now. He's getting ready. We got to get above six feet tall. You see me. (laughs) Okay, let's let's talk about... Let's talk about injuries. Let's talk about injuries a little bit here because Luka Doncic went down last night with an ankle injury. There's no real reports of it yet. Hopefully it's, you know, only a couple of games at best and it doesn't affect them because, like, the Mavs, you know, they're they're treading water here, you know, holding on to that sixth seed. And without Luka, I don't think the boat exists anymore, personally, just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is the boat, man. No, 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 you're 100% correct. I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes. He got a high ankle sprain. He's, he's going to be back this weekend, so he needs a week. <laughs> All right, well, then let's talk about the Grizzlies, Then Let's talk about Steven Adams, you know, a big important piece of that cog. The Grizzlies, four-game losing streak, you know, they're they're falling a little bit behind Denver right now, but, you know, Josh still not worried about anybody in the West, according to him, that's for sure. Hey, man, you know what? Uh, love the confidence. Um, they, though, got into some pretty heated arguments with those Laker boys, and... LeBron showed them why you don't talk, you know, smack to the king because you don't make him mad, man. He's going to come out. He's going to beat you if you really make him mad, if you get into his face. And, like, we get it, Shannon, you know, you're LeBron's boy. But, like, come on, you're in a public space. You're at a Lakers game. You're not playing. I get that you are, you know, a jacked-up 50-year-old man who is a Hall of Famer in the NFL. So, like, Dylan Brooks don't call him an average pedestrian. This man makes millions of dollars on TV and is in the Hall of Fame. You will not get a sniff of Hall of Fame voting in the NBA. I don't love you, man. I think Dylan Brooks is sweet. You know, Canadians, I got that, but he's not. He's not going to get a sniff, bro. <laughs> man, my favorite part about that whole interaction was I was listening to JJ Redick on, on his pod after, and, you know, he was talking about how, like, he really liked Shannon Sharp's cardigan. You know, he thought it was like a really, really nice cardigan. And, you know, he went online and he, he found this cardigan, but he could not find it in a size larger than an extra large. And he's looking at Shannon and he's like, there's no way Shannon is just like a regular extra large. I was like, he's got to get this custom order, right? Like, man looked good in his cardigan, that's for sure. But like, what a weird overall incident. Have you seen pictures of Shannon Sharp? 
You should go. <laughs> no, man, his bicep is as big as my head. Okay. <laughs> JJ, JJ's out here trying to order this cardigan, and he's like, "Do I order like an extra small? Is the extra large like a triple XL? Like that, that's the only thing that makes sense with how big this guy is." So that, that was the hilarity that I got out of it. Oh man, no, I mean, hey, he's gonna do whatever he wants to do. He's so famous, and like, I think that's like an issue in our world is that like. Once you hit a certain level of status, you could do whatever you want, and there are no repercussions. But hey, uh, honestly, that's true. So, look at these streaks. If we want to talk a little bit more, you know, the Pelicans on a six-game losing might not mean what much, considering you know Brandon Ingram is coming back recently. And if we want to roll that into the All-Star voting, Zion's an All-Star starter, even though he's only kind of playing sometimes. So, you know, interesting situations here. Same with Curry. Curry's an all-star starter. Like, yep. Kyrie's an all-star starter. I think that it's it's pretty lame. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, Trey Young's played every single game for that Atlanta Hawks team, or at least, you know, over 90% as opposed uh-huh. to Kyrie. He should be an all-star starter. He's got better numbers. He's got a better per. I would put Tyrese Halliburton, even though he's got worse numbers than Kyrie in the games that he plays, because... He has that Pacers team actually as a legit team in the Eastern Conference, and it's mm-hmm. on his back. Um, so, like, all-star voting is just kind of wild. You know, Ke- Kevon Looney and Draymond Green were both top 10 in all-star voting by the fan votes. Like, if these guys make the all-star game over, you know, just like Jaron Jackson Jr. over you know, Jonas Valanciunas, like, where's the argument for for Mr. Triple Single to be in the in the All-Star game. Draymond Green has no All-Star qualities this year. His leadership, not great. He punched Jordan Poole in the face. <laughs> Their defense, not one of the best defenses in the NBA, so he's he's supposed to be the leader of that. Yeah. They're, you know, a, a bottom half defense. So that's not great. And then he averages 8 7 and 7. Oh, okay. So and, I feel like a lot of guys could average eight, seven, and seven out there. And this is also just the controversy of it, right? You know, people are talking about the West as like, you know, oh, you know, Shea was snubbed, Jaw was snubbed. Yes, that you know that situation over there is tough. There's so many good players, but can I bring up Demontis Sabonis? Can I talk about this King squad that is in third place and Zion gets on there instead of Sabonis? Like. This is slight, you know, the issue that we're dealing with when it comes to voting, right? Like, I wanted to vote Pascal Siakam as an all-star, but, you know, the first votes came out, and I saw that he had, like, 200,000 votes to, like, Giannis's 2 million, and I'm like, what's the point here? What are we doing, guys? Like, what's the point? No, absolutely, and, like, if you want to go to the Eastern Conference, the guy who is leading the NBA in scoring, Joel Embiid, who has a 35 per isn't a starter over guys who have worse pers and worse scoring numbers than him in Giannis, Kevin Durant, and Tatum. Like, 76% why do we have an all-star game? Can we just actually put the best players there as opposed to who the fans want to see? Like, come on. 76ers it's, it's are getting so slept bad. on. They're getting Man. slept on right now for sure. Now, I will say this though, Matt. I will say this. I am excited for this high school blacktop draft that they're going to do right before the all-star game. They're going to do, I think that's kind of like a fun little uptake, but yeah, I think there's a lot of controversy around the picks for the all-star game this year. That's for sure. Dude. I mean, every year it happens every year. The, the old NBA vets who are old superstars get into another, you know, all-star game that they probably don't necessarily deserve to be in. And I mean, like, you know what? Curry, Kyrie, uh, KD, like, they all deserve to be in an All-Star game. To be a starter in the All-Star game, though, that's a different different story. And I think that they didn't earn it this year. I think it's purely based on reputation. But that's that's just my opinion. What do I hey, know? Man, I can't disagree with you there. We're going we're gonna to talk about this All-Star situation in the next few weeks to come as we lead up to it when the real names come out, when the snubs from the actual game happen. Who knows, right? Kevin Durant has been injured leading up to almost all these All-Star games, and it looks like he still might be injured, so... Anything's possible. It's going to be an interesting discussion for sure. But anything else this week, my friend, or shall we move into the takes and predictions? No, nah, man, we can move into the takes and predictions. I think I think we've gone through it all. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll take charge here. You know, I'm one and one so far, but I'm actually only one and zero because you know I don't count my Twitter take. It wasn't live on the air, so you know one and zero. We're gonna hold on to it. And the curse wasn't listening, man. That's your fault. Shh, don't talk about the curse, man. Don't let him. Don't let him get involved here. Okay, but now. 
this is where we get really interesting. Okay, you know, the 49ers, they're probably going to win their game. But Brock Purdy is the new legend. It's new Brady time. I was joking with Matt about, you know, stealing souls. And if Mr. Irrelevant can somehow steal Tom Brady's soul and go on to become the first rookie to win a Super Bowl, that would be pretty sick. It starts this weekend getting a W. Matt has no faith, but I want to believe. Look, man, I just, you know, a rookie quarterback has never led his team to the Super Bowl. In championship games, they're 0-4. Um, not, none of them have been particularly like top tier quarterbacks. Right. Um, top, or, um, I think big Ben was the best one out of all of them. Uh, but I mean, it's a different time. They've got a great offense around him. So they, I'll, I'll give them a chance. Um, I just, I think the Eagles are going, going to win, man. I just, that's just kind of what I'm feeling. I think that they have this team of, of destiny feel to them to get to the Super Bowl with the NFC being so wide open this year, being the dominant team, kind of getting hurt at the end and having everyone doubt them, and then just absolutely dominating last weekend. I mean, they slammed yeah. down those Giants. After the Giants looked really good against Minnesota, but that just proves how fraudulent Minnesota was. Um, and then, you know, I think the Chiefs probably beat the Bengals. This one, I'm a little less concise on um for some reason i just joe burrows in the playoff just even though they've never really scored like a ton of points he just has this feel about him that like every playoff game he enters into he's gonna win um so i'll give you that for for football but you know my real my real prediction is that we don't turn it around by the trade deadline you know we're probably middling still and we don't do anything my hope is still that we trade Fred Van Vliet. You know, I called it a few weeks ago, but at the end of the day, I'm feeling like nothing's going to happen. So Man, that's I mean, my prediction. If the trend continues, like every single week, it seems that we talk about it, it we'll just stand the course. And, you know, in, in six months' time, we'll be talking about this team that we have a lot of a lot of faith of, and we can't wait to see how they do next season. Yay, go Raptors. Oh, God. Me. <laughs> well, let's hope for some <laughs> trades, but all right, I think I'll close it out here. So thanks everybody. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the Board Sports. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. Check out theboardsports.net for new episodes and blog posts. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>